Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. As I mentioned at the start of the last episode, 2021 has been another massive year for community pharmacy. With the challenges of 2020 etched into our memories, the pandemic continued to be relentless. However, community pharmacies, they stepped up to continue to support and care for their patients and the wider Australian population. Community pharmacies have continually shown that they are ready, able and willing to provide vaccinations and health services to all Australians, as well as continue to provide expert medication advice and management. Throughout the year, we've had the absolute pleasure of hosting some fantastic guests on the show who have shared amazing stories, experiences, insights and advice with us. In a year that we will always remember, we are constantly amazed and truly grateful for the opportunity to engage with each and every one of the guests that have come on the show. With each show kicking off with a short snippet from a guest, an interesting part of the conversation for you to look forward to, we thought it would be a good idea to continue to go back through the episodes and pull out the full question and full answer for you and pull them together into some more best of episodes. We've done that over two shows, both full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at the 22 shows from 2021, those being episodes 66 to 87. And we've done that across two lots of 11 episodes with the last episode being volume six of our best bits, covering episodes 66 to 76. This episode makes it volume seven of our best bits and covers episodes 77 to 87. Let's get started with episode 77, where Andrew Robinson from MCAL Pharmacy in Taronga spoke about his experiences with electronic prescriptions. Well, it's great to hear about how it has been easy so far for you and the team and also some of the challenges with the tokens it's great to hear that you're able to sort that out on the spot for the patient but it does highlight that patients were only just beginning to get used to electronic prescription tokens and now we're introducing them to another method of receiving their prescriptions how do you explain the active script list to your patients in the pharmacy people are very accepting of change and and they do adapt and i think we've seen that particularly the pandemic, but um, the technology is not that um, foreign to patients. They use QR coding for a whole range of things these days. Uh, And we've been explaining it um, as the active script list, we've been explaining that as an extension of the e-scripts. So how I explain it is I say the token is like a, a key to a door, which allows us access to the legal prescription. So the token's not the legal prescription. It's just a, 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 direction of where that prescription is allows us to, to access it. Uh, and the and that individual token is for an individual prescription. And the ASL, the active script list, is like a key to the house with all the doors inside. So it's not just one door. It gives us access to their full um, full list of, of tokens. And they really understand that very easily, the, the concept of a key to an individual door versus a key to a house with a whole lot of doors. Uh, and I've had very few people not understand the concept of the ASL. Angus Courts from Tim Courts Pharmacy in Dubbo joined us in episode 78 and spoke about his journey and his experiences in being named MIMS Guild 2020 Intern of the Year. Well, well done for getting through the year. And I'm touching wood at this end of the microphone because it's it's hard to see a year that would be more challenging than what you experienced as an intern. Now, Angus, 
getting out into the industry, it provides a lot of learning opportunities and and you gain a lot of insights. Tell us about your biggest aha moment that 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 you experienced as an intern pharmacist. So I'd say for me, the biggest sort of aha moment or eye-opening moment, if you will, probably came as I was transitioning into to working at Coolo when I started to do some of the, the men's health consultations with with Brad and Tim, uh, two of the mental pharmacists that I worked with quite closely there. Um, I suppose throughout university, you're generally exposed to the more traditional expectations of, of what is the role of a pharmacist, but the opportunity for me to sort of see the, the men's health areas and the scope of services they can offer, it sort of really opened my eyes to see what pharmacists can do and, and the breadth um, and there's so much more to the to the role than what people realise. So more so than just checking prescriptions and counselling, there's just so many different avenues that you can explore. And it really opened my eyes to, yeah, what I can do as a pharmacist and, and the scope that's there for me. So, yeah, I'd say that was probably my biggest aha moment for sure. In Episode 79, we caught up with Christine Morgan, CEO of the National Mental Health Commission and National Suicide Prevention Advisor to Prime Minister Scott Morrison to discuss creating mentally healthy pharmacies. So much great advice. We're talking there about pharmacists themselves in the workplace. Is what you spoke about there important for them to then just push on to their staff and patients? And I use push as for want of a better word because supporting their staff members as well as the community and their patients is also a key responsibility for our pharmacists. So that could just potentially be another stressor, but they have a responsibility and a care for others as well. As leaders and managers in the workplace, how do they themselves, the pharmacists, best support the mental health and well-being of their colleagues as human beings in the workplace? Such a very good question because let's acknowledge it right up front. And my uncle was a pharmacist. I have a great affinity with pharmacists. I truly believe they are leaders in our community. They are there at the front line in our communities. They are places where people go because they feel safe. They want to talk. And yes, that is a, a an opportunity to be a real uh, role model, if you like. So let's, coming off the back end of what we've just talked about, which is how they effectively look after their own mental health and well-being is really significant as a role model, as a leader. Then how do they bring that across into their staff? And I think um, I think as much as anything, it, that starting point is, look, I'm looking after myself because mental health is important. I want you as a staff member to also look after your health, your mental health, and I want to work with you to say, what are the stresses and challenges you're finding in our workplace so that we can address them together? So it's having a very validating conversation with um, our work colleagues to say, tell me about it from your perspective. What can we do to make this a really good workplace that supports all of us? I think secondly, and really importantly, is that if they um, know that somebody is going to need some mental health support, one of the key things you can do really practically as an employer, as a leader, is just spend some time getting some resources together so that if one of your team members, one of your colleagues says, oh gosh, I think I need some information on this, you've got those kind of things to hand. So I think that's really um, important as well. And I think the final thing to do is to just stay engaged and keep validating it. I think, as I, as I said, one of the things coming out of COVID is that we all understand our mental health is an integral part of us. That's been a really positive step in destigmatizing um, what was previously there as being, I can't talk about my mental ill health because that's a sign of weakness. As employers, as work colleagues, we can actually turn that on its head. That's one of the best things we can possibly do. 
Alexi Boyd, Cosboa CEO, discussed how Cosboa is representing the interests of pharmacies in episode 80. We still have a long road ahead of us before we can return to some form of business as usual. What are some of the challenges and opportunities facing small businesses in the future as we do try and push on to normality? Because it isn't something that has happened before. So it's not like we have a a past roadmap or a successful roadmap or experiences that we can lean on and learn from. You're right. We do have the experience of seeing communities come out of lockdown and this bounce back effect that economists tell us about. But that's not going to happen when we have successive lockdowns and um, community small businesses just give up. It's it's We're going to lose all that expertise and um, they're not going to want to, to reopen or, or restart their businesses unless they've got the opportunity and there's an options there given to them to keep them keep their head above water. So obviously one of the things that Cosboa is fighting for right now is tailored, appropriate, relevant support. It needs to be easy to access. It needs to be fair and equitable and measured. And we prefer a tiered approach. So it's dependent on the loss that you've incurred. But it needs to be tailored so that you've got people who are from certain sectors not falling through the cracks. A really great example of that is is live musicians who can't seem to, on as a whole, get, get access to any of the funding for a myriad of reasons, and they all seem to fall into one of those reasons. So we examine that and look at the ways that, that we can help to rebuild. At the moment, there's, I guess you'd call it a media release or a proposal document from COSBOA that talks about rebuilding. We need to look ahead. We need to say, okay, we're in lockdown. We understand that. It is damn hard right now. But what does reopening look like? What does rebuilding the economy look like? How are you going to support the biggest employer in Australia, small business, to reopen and rebuild the economy? And that's what we're looking forward to. We want to see um, some progress from decision makers about what that opening, reopening and the rebuilding looks like because the support mechanisms can't just switch off like a tap. Otherwise, small business will switch off. In episode 81, Emily Bowstead, NAPSA 21-22 National President, joined us to discuss the important role that NAPSA continues to play. Yes, congratulations to all those students and, and that commendation that you give about how they've reacted and, and adapted and kept moving on with their studies and their lives. But I'm interested to hear about what sorts of things you're hearing from other students at this time. What are they talking to you about in terms of the industry and their studies and how they're progressing and handling it all? Although it's been quite challenging for all of us as students, I can confidently say that us as pharmacy students are the most resilient cohort of individuals. Not only do we study full-time, but we're working part-time as essential workers and stepping up into really novel and emerging roles as being COVID vaccine preparers or even COVID vaccinators. So, Overall, students are extremely inspired by how everyone in the pharmacy profession has stepped up in the face of adversity to overcome the challenges which we've been faced with. And we're really proud to be having such a profound impact on healthcare throughout this time and contributing to overcoming a global pandemic. So I think that the willingness of students to take on extra responsibilities and become truly integral members of the COVID-19 response is a testament of how strong the current cohort of pharmacy students and interns are. And 
I am so excited to see the things that we can achieve both now and when we graduate into the profession. We learned all about a day in the life of a guild branch through Monique Mackerel, Tasmanian branch director, in episode 82. I'm very much looking forward to the answer for this next question, especially because, as you've mentioned a couple of times, you've come from more of a corporate background. So as such, I'm interested in, from your experience, what you see as the biggest opportunity for pharmacy and our role in the healthcare system currently. Healthcare is very much on everybody's radar, um, particularly because of COVID. And I guess there's a realisation across, you know, from a public health perspective, from an industry perspective, is that your personal health is really important. And in terms of COVID, and not in all cases, but people who have become, you know, more seriously ill have been people that have probably been, you know, had comorbidities to begin with. So I think for for pharmacy, there's a re, there's two models, you know, there's a, a there's a, a, a discount, lots of product on shelves model that exists, you know, and that's always going to exist and that's fine. But there really is an amazing opportunity to be that health hub, to be able to deliver more. There needs to be the remuneration. But um, in saying that, you've got to be able to deliver something that somebody's actually going to see the value out of. And I think that's something that pharmacists really grapple with, that, that how do you... Uh, put a value on some of the things that they do when they've traditionally done a lot of things at no charge and the reliance on government remuneration. Now, in some instances, yep, the government should be remunerating for some of these things, absolutely. But there are a lot of other things that pharmacies can do um, which are uh, valued by consumers that they will pay for. But I think that you've got to you've got to be able to deliver it in an environment that I guess best conveys that. So you have to, you know, if you've got a consult room, it needs to look like a really good consult room. It's got to, I guess, be fit for purpose. If you're doing vaccinations, you know, you need to make sure that it it it's not something that's kind of like a broom closet, but it's something that's again, it actually speaks to the profession of what you are doing. So I think that um, for pharmacy, you know, we are able to uh, highlight and also making sure that we tell people what we can do. You know, I have even my friends, you know, that They've known that I've been in pharmacy for years and I'll say, you know, you can get a flu vaccine at your pharmacy. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I forget about that. Oh, I didn't realise that, you know, or, you know, unwanted medications, you know, which are dangerous in the community. You know, you can actually get rid of all of those in the pharmacy, just take them in and, you know. And I think it's around, you know, where we can use uh, different language. So you might say to someone, oh, those medications are dangerous to just leave in your house. And they think, oh, yeah, fair enough. Versus, 
you know, those medications, if you kind of dispose of them just in your rubbish bin or put them down the toilet, like it's environmentally unfriendly and people go, oh, okay, oh, oh, I'll go, you can take them back to your pharmacy and they've got, you know, proper ways to, to dispose of them. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, there's, I think it's about um, how we talk about pharmacy and and how the profession sees itself as well where, uh, you know, what are those things pharmacies can do and how we have to keep talking about what we do and making sure people are aware of what we're able to do and how we can deliver value. And that's one thing government needs to understand is that pharmacies can, can really save the government huge amounts of money through keeping people out of hospital. And I think a really great example of that is the Queensland UTI trial that they've been doing up there. So, you know, in Tassie, that, that's one of those potentially preventable hospitalisations. Costs $4,500 per night for a, for a person to stay in hospital. And I think it's about a, 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 an average of about a four-night stay. You know, we should absolutely be able to um, diagnose, treat, dispense uh, somebody for that condition. And, you know, people are happy to pay for it. And it's and I guess it's about that value add. So I think that's why, you know, vaccinations have been one of those things that in pharmacy people have been happy to pay for because you kind of you're getting something for your money sort of thing, you know, so they actually see the value in that. Um, some of those other things that we do around, you know, uh, medication sort of evaluation services and it's a little bit sort of like, you know, some people kind of can't see the value in in that. It's one of those things, oh, well, you're just talking to me and, you know, I'm not kind of getting anything for it. But I don't know many other health well, many other professionals that freely give up their time, like pharmacists. So I, I just think that there's a real, um, I, I guess it's, again, it's a bit of a catalyst moment of where pharmacy is positioned and what it looks like in the future. And also pharmacists recognising that they don't have to be able to do everything. So it's not a be, about being able to have to deliver on every single thing. And it's about looking at your business a bit more holistically and working who are the, working out, you know, if I've got this opportunity to own this healthcare business, what other healthcare people can I bring into this business? So you become that community health hub. You know, you're, you are controlling the dialogue about the services that are delivered in your pharmacy. And to do that, you know, you've really got to kind of, I, I guess, unshackle yourself from some of, um, you know, being a purveyor of just product, you've got to be able to work out, well, how do I um, become this healthcare environment in terms of delivering other things? And products are a, a great opportunity. I'm not saying, you know, move out of that space. And I, I'm a lover of retail and that's kind of where I cut my teeth, I guess. But I do see there's a better place to be. Principal Georgina O'Dell from Meridian Lawyers explained all about why legal advice is critically important for pharmacies in episode 83. Some pharmacists may be a little bit reluctant to pay legal fees. They might have a perception that it's going to cost them 
a lot of money. And I know this is a little bit of a rhetorical question around does having the assistance of a lawyer save money in the long run? But what can go wrong in the process if a lawyer isn't involved in that buying process? Well, I think the first thing that I'd say is it, it would be pretty, unless you've been a solicitor yourself before and then become a pharmacist, it would be pretty impossible to do a pharmacy purchase. Even as a lawyer, it, it takes years of experience and practice to, to do these transactions to, to know what the, the loopholes are and you know where things can go wrong and avoid it. I've never known anyone purchase a, purchase a pharmacy with, without a lawyer or even try and sell a pharmacy without a lawyer. It's just too complicated. The other thing about having a lawyer is that if you've got a good lawyer um, and an experienced pharmacy lawyer, they've got a constant watch on what is going on during the transaction. Things can change. Things can come to light that no one has told the lawyers about or, or even thought is an issue. For example, um, I'm acting for a pharmacist at the moment who um, is going through the due diligence process, purchasing a pharmacy. And only by way of a, a casual conversation have we found out that part of the pharmacy is sublet to some doctors. So that's thrown up some questions about, uh, is there a written sublease? No, there isn't. Um, has the landlord given their consent to that sublease? No. Um, and also, has the pharmacy council given their consent to the contraction of the footprint of the pharmacy? Well, we're working on that one. Um, but, you know, if you need someone, it, there's a lot of project management with these transactions to make sure that certain things happen by certain times. And that's the role of the lawyer. It's much more complicated than buying a house. That's not always easy in itself, but um, there's so many more moving parts with buying a pharmacy. And in terms of what can go wrong, there are lots of things that can go wrong. You could be buying from someone, you know, in a worst case scenario, doesn't own the pharmacy or doesn't own all of the pharmacy. You could um, be buying a pharmacy with, with issues with the regulator, the pharmacy council. Uh, for example, as I said before, if there are unapproved changes to the name or the address or the size of the pharmacy, those kind of things, they need to be dealt with properly. Um, and one of the key things when you're a purchaser, or it's also a key thing when you're a seller, but from a different point of view, but with a purchaser, you want to have adequate warranties and indemnities in the contract so that you know that the financial records that have been given to you are reliable and they're accurate and they're not, not misleading and you want a warranty from the vendor to that effect uh, and you want an indemnity um, because that's that's probably the greatest area of risk when you're buying a business that the business turns out not to be of the value that you've paid for it for some unknown reason. Um, I acted for a pharmacist a few years ago who bought, he was buying his second pharmacy um, and we had a warranty in the contracts to say that all of the information about the employee entitlements is correct, accurate, and not misleading in any respect. On the first day that the pharmacist went in, on the completion date, one of the members of staff, key member of staff, went up to him and said, um, I'm due long service leave. Can I take my long service leave? Blah, blah, blah. And we looked back at the employee entitlements and there was no long service leave on the list of entitlements. Now, the, the reason that had happened, it wasn't that the vendor was being misleading. It was just that the vendor had only given us the entitlements from when she had bought the business. But those employees had been there for donkey's years before that. And their entitlements went back donkey's years as well. But she, she hadn't thought about that when she gave us the info. Um, 
But luckily, we did have that warranty in the contract that said that they indemnify us in, for all of the information that's attached to the contract, including the employee entitlements. And within about three days, we'd had another cash payment to compensate my client for the, the true employee entitlements that were there. So um, it's making sure you've got the right warranties in there. If, for example, you've got a, you know, you're buying a business with a robot in there in the pharmacy. That's a very expensive piece of equipment that you're paying for. Personally, I would be acting for asking for warranties that that's in good condition, it's been serviced, and that it will be in good condition on the date of completion. So it's those kind of things. I did want to say something here as well about financial due diligence because that very same pharmacist I was just speaking about on another transaction um, had his pharmacy accountant do the due diligence on the last three years' financial statements. And there was a hole in the accounts. Something hadn't been included in the accounts that should have been. And our client um, managed to have over a million dollars taken off the purchase price. So he paid a million dollars less than he thought he was going to because his accountant had very cleverly identified this issue in the accounts. So that's how important it is. And yeah, I've got, like I say, I've got, I've got two current cases with this sublease of the premises to the doctors. Which, which we're working through. So um, I, th I think you can, you can see that it's really important to have a lawyer, whoever that is, uh, acting for you and looking after your interests because there's stuff going on that can cause a very expensive problem in the long run. How pharmacies can use sponsorship successfully was the topic in episode 84 when we spoke to Mark Thompson from Consultancy Sports Rights Tech. Well, you mentioned earlier about objectives and, and a lot of this conversation is focusing on achieving things in the business or, or as part of the marketing. I'd like to crystallise those objectives a little bit more, take a little bit of a closer look at them. So generally speaking, what are the overarching objectives that a sponsorship could help a pharmacy achieve, just generally speaking? There's community engagement, there's branding, um, so logos and people understanding who you are. There's sales, obviously. There's the lead generation is a big one as well. So, so being able to start a conversation with people to to engage with them to to drive them to becoming a loyal uh, customer. And you know the the other one is is then more along those social lines and and people that are become sort of advocates and and fans of yours so that they start talking to other people about you as well. And so that's um, sort of more like a social engagement type of a, an objective that you want to achieve. So there are kind of some really key areas that overarch it. And then there's some you know different things that you can ask for, which help you achieve those objectives. We received an update on the community pharmacy COVID-19 vaccination rollout from Natalie Willis, WA pharmacy owner and Guild National Counselor in episode 85. Community pharmacies' response and particularly the eagerness to lead the COVID vaccination rollout and now, as you just mentioned, boosters as well, it's commendable. What is your opinion on the potential for pharmacy participation in the rollout to be able to impact on the scope of pharmacy practice? We've established a really great safety profile for the delivery of vaccinations in pharmacy. And now the, all that's left in terms of, of scope of pharmacy practice as far as vaccinations are concerned is to just open up all vaccinations to pharmacy, which is the logical next step. We've proven that we can do it. We've proven that we're safe and effective. Um, we've proven that there's uh, 
customer demand that patients have voted with their feet and, uh, and want to have their vaccine in a pharmacy. And we also, you know, are one of the most accessible health professionals. So um, it makes sense that that if you the more convenient you make getting a vaccine, the more likely somebody is to actually receive a vaccine. So in terms of pharmacy, that just seems inevitable because it just makes sense. But what it's also proving is that pharmacy can do and should be doing more uh, in other areas of of health practice as well. That you know anything that needs to be done on a mass scale, you know population health included. If you're talking about chronic disease management of chronic disease, it needs to involve community pharmacy. It it, it just can't be left to GPs alone. It, you know we've seen that we've heard continuously from GPs about the burden that COVID vaccination has placed on their practices, um, and how it's affected their ability to be able to service patients for other healthcare needs. Pharmacy is a little bit more dynamic and can adapt a little bit better to these challenges um, and change the way that they do practice and change their staffing levels and, and workflows and what have you to be able to accommodate new areas of practice. And that makes us ideally placed to be able to help out with some of the health challenges that are currently facing the Australian community. In episode 86, Professional Officer Georgina Woods from Pharmaceutical Defence Limited had us focusing on professional indemnity and risk management in pharmacies. Georgina, hi and welcome to the show. As we heard in the introduction, PDL provides support to members through professional indemnity. What sorts of incidents would a member reach out to you for assistance on? And, And it would be great if you could also cover off in your answer for us what should pharmacy staff do if an if an incident actually occurs in the pharmacy? PDL can assist with many kind of incidents and certainly there's no penalty for reporting an incident to PDL. So we'd always encourage members to report any kind of situation that could potentially escalate into a complaint. So even if you think you've resolved it and it all seems fine, it's still really important to let PDL know because we can provide support and advice to help you along the way. So obvious examples of Incidents are dispensing errors, uh, incidents involving vaccination, complaints regarding service or incorrect advice. Other situations that you might receive uh, a notification for, um, they're also very important to let us know about. So if you do hear from a regulator or a lawyer, please get in touch with us straight away. We can certainly help with that. Other things might include concerns about a prescriber or a colleague's activities, or if you have a particularly aggressive or confronting incident with a patient, that's also worthy of a report to PDL because we can help you through those sort of situations. Now, if you're faced with an incident, which invariably we all are at some stage, PDL actually do have a guide to incident management. And I'd encourage all pharmacy owners and managers to display this in the dispensary because it's a really helpful quick guide and it can be referred to quickly to help you through it. Time is of the essence when you're dealing with incidents. So we always suggest that incidents are managed quickly and effectively. Sometimes if you're not sure what to do, just call PDL straight away. You can speak to a professional officer and we can provide you with the confidence to navigate the incident. We always suggest being transparent and empathic and understanding when you're managing an incident. So you do need to be aware that they might be unwell, they might be very stressed and situations can escalate quickly when you've got patients who are already upset before they come to you. You always need to contact a prescriber if there's been a dispensing error and also keep in mind that you must inform the owner of the incident as well as they are responsible for everything that occurs in the pharmacy. 
So documentation is very important. Document everything and incidents should always be reported to your own professional indemnity insurance provider. At PDL, we're cognizant that we're available 24-7 because many pharmacies are working really long hours at the moment. So be aware that you can get hold of us day or night, any time of the day, and that's really important. So you're aware that we're available like that. And finally, Guild National President Trent Toomey joined us in episode 87 to review 2021 for us. This might be an impossible task, but I'd like you to have a go nonetheless. If you could provide a succinct paragraph or two to wrap up 2021, what would you say? Uh, listen, I always like to um, steal the words of those um, that are, are, are brighter than me. And as Minister Hunt said, this has been our finest hour. And it really has uh, been Community Pharmacy's finest hour. I've been immensely proud to be elected this year as the ninth National President of the Pharmacy Guild to uh, be your advocate, to be your spokesperson. Um, it's an incredible honour and I'm very, very humbled by it, but um, I look forward to um, whatever challenges 2022 and beyond bring. That's a wrap for Volume 7 of the Best Bits of the PBCM podcast, which is part two of our look back at 2021. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and it has been fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, insights and advice from our guests and Once again, to the guests, thank you so much to all of you who came on the show for these episodes. I know everybody who listens to the show is truly grateful that you found some time in your busy schedules to come on the show and share with us. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources and information to assist business and career growth and improvement. For more information, simply contact your local Guild branch or visit the Guild website, guild.org. Until next time, you've been listening to episode 89 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.